Good morning. Never in recent years have Christians and non-Christians alike had more questions about the future. And with uh, world events uh, constantly changing in a state of instability and topics such as uh, the new millennium, Y2K, global warming, chemical and nuclear warfare dominating the headlines, we intuitively search for the answer to the question, what does the future hold? There are as many opinions as there are people when it comes to answering the question, and we, however, in this series that we're going to begin this morning, will look specifically at what the Bible has to say about the future and how we should prepare for it. I think it's important at this time to offer a warning, and that is simply this. When we approach the topic of future things, particularly at a time when so much is happening in our world that can be interpreted or misinterpreted in the light of biblical prophecy, we need to exercise special care lest we read our views into the Bible. And as always, it's very important that we be diligent in our study of the Word of God, that we listen carefully to what it is that God has to say in the Bible, and, uh, so the, and, and for the important purpose that we don't misinterpret what He says and, as a result, misapply these truths. Probably a uh, story that I heard recently will illustrate the point that I'm trying to make, and that's this. There was a 92-year-old man who went to a doctor to get a physical. A few days after the physical, the doctor saw this man walking down the street, and on his arm he had this gorgeous young lady. About a one, month went by, and the older man had to go back for a, a, a follow-up appointment. And when he got there, the doctor said, Boy, it sure looks like you're doing a lot better than the last time I saw you. He said, Yep, took your advice. Get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor looked at him and went, oh, I, I, never, I, never told, I never said that to you. He said, I got, he said you, you got a heart murmur, and you better be careful. <laughs> it's amazing sometimes that what we want to hear and how we begin to apply it in our life. The point is very simple. The case is often true as we study the Bible. So often we misinterpret, and then subsequently we misapply it, and uh, at times it could be fatal. And uh, in this particular case, I think it's important as we consider what the future holds and what the Bible has to say, that we're very careful to interpret it correctly and then apply it accordingly. As we consider the question, what does the future hold, we often hear in, secular, in the secular world talk of the end of the world. Or in Christian circles, the talk always revolves around the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, recently, I don't know if you've heard this interview, but there was a very prominent National Football League quarterback who was interviewed prior to the Super Bowl. And he said this, he said, enjoy this one because this will be the last one that's ever played. And when he was questioned about his take on that, he went on to say this, because Jesus Christ is coming back in 1999. Now today we're going to answer the question, when will Jesus return? It's critical that we understand that I find it quite fascinating of how often biblical terms or expressions are used in everyday conversation, even by folks who maybe have never even read the Bible. Recently I was out on the run and I was uh, overtaking two women, and it wasn't hard to do. <laughs> no, no, no. We have, we have such a sensitive, you know, you got to listen, let me finish. One was in a wheelchair, and, and the other had a walker. They were walking, and I was trying to run is the point that I was trying to make. You'd think it was Mother's Day. 
but anyway, as I was coming upon them, I usually like to yell, you know, kind of like if you've ever gone skiing to your left, to your right, you know, so they don't freak out when you come up on them, especially when they hear me pounding the cement and breathing heavily. Uh, but as I was coming towards them, I heard them talking, and one lady said to the other, she goes, you know, I saw the handwriting on the wall. And they were talking about a relationship she had with somebody else. I saw the handwriting on the wall, and I was just dying at that point to stop for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but uh, particularly to say, hey, where'd you get that expression? I, heard, you know, I saw the handwriting on the wall. Because people say things that they don't even recognize what it is that they're saying. And uh, what's fascinating at this particular point is, if you, remember, if you recall, I mentioned an article that was in Sports Illustrated about the uh, second going, they called it, of the retirement of Michael Jordan from basketball. And they compared the second going to the second coming. And often we hear of the second coming. We hear in athletic terms of an athlete who is the second coming of so-and-so, someone that had preceded him. Or better yet, in business circles, we hear that such and such a person was hired as the CEO uh, in order to be the savior of their company. We speak of the handwriting on the wall, the second coming, the savior of a particular company or team or whatever, without realizing what it is that we're referring to when we make mention of such terms. And so, as we look at this question, what is meant by the second coming of Jesus Christ, or in this case, when will Jesus return, it's important to clarify that there are two events that are clearly taught in the Bible with regards to this question, when will Jesus return? First, the Bible teaches very clearly that there is a time coming in the future when Jesus Christ will return in the air to receive the church or those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The church, not a building or a set of buildings or a series of buildings, but the church is the collective body of people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The Bible clearly teaches, if you've got it, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that there is a day coming when Jesus will return to collect or gather to himself those who have put their faith and trust in him. Now, it's important to recognize that, that this event will take place in the air as opposed to on the ground. And we need to recognize those differences that are distinctly taught. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at the series of events that will take place at a future time. This is, in answering the question, what does the future hold, we know this specifically to be true. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting with verse 13, we read these words. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's a euphemism that's used often in Scripture for those who have died. It says that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Again, we find that, the, that God wants people to understand, and he gives us his word, his truth, so that we understand and we're not ignorant. That's exactly what he's talking about. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who have died, so that you would grieve as those who have no hope, because you do have a hope, and here's what he's sharing with us. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
And often as we consider what events lay ahead in the future, oftentimes there's a sense of apprehension or anxiety or fear that goes with it. And it's only the word of God that gives us comfort as we know exactly what to expect. God says, if you fear death, comfort one another with these words because this is truth from God and God doesn't change his mind. What he says you can believe, you can, you can uh, bank on, you can trust fully. He's reliable, he's trustworthy. And he says, if you fear death, I want you to be comforted by these words. Now notice the succession or the series of events will take place. There is a point in time in the future when Jesus Christ will return. This return, will, he will descend from heaven as you notice says that he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall be raised first. And it says, and then the living saints who will be caught up, and that's where we get the term rapture. It's a Latin term, caught up means uh, rapture, or to be caught up together with him. And it says, to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with him from that point on forever and ever. Now this truth is introduced as a special revelation from God. And it's important that we recognize up to this particular time, this was not something that was known to those uh, who would believe, to those who would have studied the scripture. It was something that was a new revelation or a mystery that was now revealed for the first time. And as we look at the second coming of Christ to the earth, we will see a stark contrast from this event that takes place in the future in the air. And those who are familiar with Old Testament uh, promises recognize there's a day coming where Jesus will return to the ground. And so they had that as information, and now we have the completed word of God, counsel of God. We know what they did not know, and that is this, that there is a specific event that takes place in the future, and it is not to be confused with the event that I'm going to talk about in a second. This event is that Jesus Christ will return one day in a future time, because it hasn't happened yet, so even if it's in a second, it's still future. And uh, so it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen exactly as God says. That Jesus will return in the air and he will gather to himself those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have, that will have died before that took place. Notice a couple things. He says this, that they will be raised, speaking of bodily resurrection. It's important to recognize that if you die today, and you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible says you will be absent from the body, but you will be present with the Lord. That you will be in his presence, it's guaranteed by God, because it's by grace we're saved through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, not by works, not by coming to church or believing and doing any good thing, but simply by faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. If you die today, you'll be absent from your body, we've got to deal with it, it's left behind, but your spirit will be in the presence of God. That is a promise of God. But he says, if you die before this event takes place, then you will have the honor of being resurrected bodily first before those of us who may be alive at that particular time. So the promise of God is very clear that Jesus will come in the future and he will come in the air and he will gather to himself all of those who are in Christ. And I'll talk about that term in a second because it's critical that we understand it. Now the second event that is clearly taught in the Bible is this that Jesus Christ will return one day and he will come to the earth and he will take his stand on the earth. And so there's a difference between these two events. That's why I want to pose the question, when will Jesus return? Because in doing so, we can address both of those events as we look at what the Bible has to say. There's much confusion and some of the confusion was, it was uh, 
uh, exposed in the comment or the quote that was made by the prominent NFL quarterback who said, enjoy the Super Bowl, it's the last one, because Jesus is coming back in 1999. Now, my question for him is, what is exactly, what was he referring to? Was he referring to the fact that Jesus may come in the air and gather to himself all of those who are in Christ? And if so, do you think that would really hinder a future Super Bowl, depending on the number of people that were taken and who was left to play? I mean... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But, and, and that's different than somebody's misunderstanding or misinterpretation of Scripture that Jesus was going to come and take his stand here on the earth in the year 1999. And to him, I say very specifically, you're wrong. And you're wrong because the Word of God tells you you're wrong. And it's an ignorance of Scripture that's often quoted in public that makes all Christians or those who believe in the Bible look like idiots. So if you're going to be quoted one day publicly... Know what you're talking about and be diligent in your study of the Word of God so that you're prepared to be able to give an answer for the hope or defense of the hope that is within you. That is our responsibility before God, to know the Word of God and be able to share it accurately with those around us. And it's amazing when you have the power of the Word of God on your side as you're sharing truth about future things that you've got a weapon or a sword that God uses to penetrate the hearts and minds and the souls of human beings. If it's your own opinion and your own philosophy, hey, guess what? Everyone's got them. Don't even bother. Ah, I feel better. <laughs> okay, now here's something else that was fascinating as I was digging into all this, and that's this. The exact expression, the second coming of Jesus Christ, is never found anywhere in the Bible. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you'll never find the term, the second coming of Christ, in the Bible. But what you will find is this. Turn with me to John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 14. A very insightful passage as it has to do with future events, and it comes specifically from the mouth of our Lord himself. And in fact, you know, I go back to um, chapter 13. Let's start with verse 36 so that we can understand it in the context in which it takes place. Jesus is telling his disciples that he was going to go into Jerusalem and that he would be killed and that he would be leaving them. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered said, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? He says, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered and said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a cock shall not crow until you deny me three times. Then we find it in verse 1 of chapter 14, Jesus says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Now, why would their heart have been troubled? Their heart have been troubled for several reasons. Number one, Jesus just told them that he'd be going into Jerusalem, that he would be crucified, he would die, and that he would be leaving them. So they were troubled by these events that were about to take place. And on top of that, to even make it worse, Peter, the stud guy of all of the disciples, the, the, you know, the main man, the big fisherman, the strong man of all of them, the man's man of the group, steps up and says, Lord, I'll follow you and I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll die with you. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, you won't, sissy boy. <laughs> Not quite like that, but, but that's, how they, that's how they read it. He said, you know how you think. You know, pride comes before the fall, and an arrogant heart, our haughty heart, before, you know, that always takes place, precedes the fall. 
Peter was all puffed up, man. He was feeling good about himself. Lord, I'll go with you. I'll fight for you. And we know that he did actually pull out a sword and he made a feeble attempt at trying to defend Jesus. He was so accurate with the sword, he chopped the guy's ear off, which I don't believe was by design, by the way. I think he was going for the throat. And that's how bad he was. The guy was a fisherman. He could have probably strangled him with a net quicker than with a sword. But the point of the matter is this. Jesus said, you think you're going to go to your death with me? He said, no, you're not. You're going to deny me. And so now think about all the disciples in this group going, wow. Jesus is going to die. He's going to leave us. He says we can't follow him at this point. Even Peter's going to deny him. Man, you know what? I'm troubled. Jesus knowing that said, don't be troubled by that. Do not be troubled or let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, here's the key point of what we're discussing, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow, what a promise, huh? So don't worry, I'm leaving, and you're not going to follow me just yet, but one day you will follow me, and one day I will come back for you, so that where I am, you will also be. And we will be together, as we learned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for the rest of eternity. See, the promise that Jesus will return comes out of Jesus' own mouth when he says, I will come back for you. We read all through Scripture, Acts 1.11, we read these words. The same Jesus, as the, as the angels uh, proclaimed that Jesus was being raised bodily from the ground, and all the disciples stood by, and they were looking up into the air, they said this, This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. In Acts 3.20, we're told that God will send forth His Son, Jesus Christ. There will come out of Zion the Deliverer, Romans 11.26, 2 Thessalonians 1.17, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, 2 Thessalonians 1.10, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints. The brightness of His coming, who shall judge the living and the dead at His appearing in kingdom, 2 Timothy 4.1, He shall appear says that He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation, Hebrews 9.28, be patient until the coming of the Lord, James 5:17. There shall be, or there shall come in the last days scoffers saying, Where is the promise of his coming? It says, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also whom they have pierced. Even so, John writes, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus Christ will come again. Once he will come in the air for those who have put their faith and trust in him. And then there will be a time also in the future that he will come and he will take his stand here upon this earth. Jesus Christ is coming again. We need to recognize and understand that. And we need to answer the question, when will Jesus return? And the Bible has some good insight, obviously, for us in this particular area. And there's five answers to this question that I want us to understand because there are five answers that hopefully, as we grasp these, they will change the way we live our lives today. The first answer is this. Jesus will come when we're not expecting him. Matthew 24, 36, we read this. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus goes on to say in verses 42 through 44 of the same chapter, therefore, keep watch, because you don't know on what day your Lord will come, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, 
he would have kept watch, and he would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Those who dwell on the earth will not be expecting him to come. There may be some who believe that he's coming, but even they will not be expecting him at precisely the moment that he will come. What should be our response to this? Because the key of understanding what the future holds is to also understand what God wants us to do to prepare for the events that are about to take place. And he says this, he wants you first of all to understand. He says, but understand this. Have some insight from God himself. Understand. Understand what? Understand that we are to develop an attitude of watchfulness. He says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have what? Kept watch. Also, he would have been prepared. So you also must be what? You must be ready. Jesus Christ is coming again. And he is coming first for those who have put their faith and trust in him. And he was coming in the air to gather those of us who have trusted in Christ. And the Bible says, as to that day, we must keep watching and we must be prepared. We must be ready. Now, to kind of illustrate this principle, I was thinking, how many of you, as you got up this morning, the first thing that came to your mind was that today could be the day that Jesus Christ comes in the air for those who have trusted in him. How many of you honestly believe that or thought that the first thing you woke up, today could be the day? Don't embarrass yourselves. Because not many of us got up and even had a faintest idea or thought that that could be a possibility. Is that not true? The fact that we didn't think that is exactly what God is trying to get across to us, and that is this. He is coming when many of us will not expect it. Oh, we believe it, and we read about it, but we don't really expect it because we do not live expectantly awaiting that day. He says we need to be watchful and we need to be ready. How about tomorrow? If you believe that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, returning in the air so that it specifically contrasts to returning to the earth because we're going to discuss that, but if you believe that he specifically would return in the air tomorrow, how would it change your life today? Would you do anything differently? Now, if you're shaking your head yes, my question for you is this. What are you waiting for? If you would do something different, then do it, as Nike says. Just do it. What are you waiting for? Because the truth of the matter is this, that Jesus Christ could return any moment in the air, and there is nothing in Scripture that would preclude that from happening other than some of the things that I'm about to share with you. But we need to recognize and understand. If you believe that Jesus Christ is coming in the air, could be today, and it would change how you live your life, then I suggest that you change how you live your life. See, living in constant expectation of his return will keep our priorities straight, won't it? Because the greatest commandment is that we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we keep him th first, that every, every decision that we make, we filter through that hourglass of, you know what? Hey, is this keeping God first in my life? See, if I really believe that, then it's going to change the way I think. It'll also change the way I live. And that's important to understand, that the study of prophecy is not just to give us some knowledge that we can have just to have fun and entertain ourselves, but it is to drastically affect our decisions on a daily basis. Let me give you a simple illustration. Some of you have probably seen this commercial. I love this commercial. Okay, here's the scene. Over here, 
is a guy who's sitting on a beach, in a beach chair. The waves are lapping up to his feet, and he's got one of those umbrella drinks in his hand. In his other hand, he's got a cell phone that he starts to dial. The cell phone goes through, somebody on the other end answers it. Boom, over here. It's the office, and the party is on. The boss is gone, the party's on, there's party hats, there's horns, there's noise, there's party maker, there, there's food, there's drinks, there's people running around chasing each other. I mean, the party is on. Hey, I just want to let you know I had to cut my trip short. I'm at the airport and I should be within a half an hour. Party's over! Oh, they're just scrambling all over the place, man. They're scampering, they're cleaning up, they're doing stuff like that. And, and, and it's just like, just sheer panic, pandemonium. Hangs up the phone. Last line. I love doing that to them. <laughs> What's the point? Were you ever a kid doing something at home shouldn't have been doing because you were sure that your parents were going to be gone for... Six hours? And there's always, a, there's always, hey, and if you, oh, there's a lot of young people here. Hey, listen up. <laughs> this is always a giveaway. So, uh, how long are you guys going to be out tonight? <laughs> our, li- our line was always this until we feel like coming back. Well, are you going to be gone an hour? Maybe. How about three? I don't know. We could be back in 15 minutes. After all, we've been married a long time and we run out of things to talk about. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just threw the little levity out there. <laughs> or maybe we're going out to dinner with some of you. <laughs> no. uh, so anyway, oh, calm down here. You're going to be that way. We're going to have to ask, hey, where's security? But, but the, the point is this. Have you ever had that experience in life where someone shows up earlier than expected? No, of course you haven't. Because <laughs> you wouldn't know if they showed up at all. <laughs> but but, but here's, here's the deal. Where are we going with all this? The point is very simple. And that is this. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared. And you know what? We need to be doing what's right before God because we don't have to worry about what we're doing when Jesus comes back. You hear what I'm saying? If you're a young person and your parents are gone and they're out somewhere, you don't have to worry about what time they're coming back because you won't be doing nothing that you need to be afraid about getting caught doing. Amen? Oh, oh, I see. I hear you up there. Point is this. Let's do the right thing. And we don't have to worry about what we're doing when Jesus returns. Right? So the point is this, again, if you're doing what's wrong before God, then it's time that you confess and agree with God that what you're doing is wrong, and it's time that you confess your sin, and it's time you repent of what you're doing. And the Bible says repentance is turning 180 degrees from that which is offensive to God and doing that which is pleasing to Him. We need to confess our sin, we need to repent and get right with God, And we can anxiously and expectantly and watchfully look for the day when Jesus will return in the air for those of us who are in Christ. The second thing is this. As if that's not enough to deal with. The second thing is Jesus will come when church-age believers are resurrected. 
Now, it's important that we recognize that it's not all, all believers are resurrected, but church-age believers are resurrected. According in 1 Thessalonians 4, which we already saw in verses 15 through 18, it says, According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the air, so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. The, the important phrase, as if not all of that's important, obviously it all is, but the important phrase I want to point out is this. It says that the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a wonderful statement of position for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible refers to us who have done that, uh, have given them our life, refers to that as being in Christ positionally. There is now non, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. All through the Bible from the time of Pentecost forward, we find that's written that those who are in Christ are in a special position and relationship with God. For as many as believed him, speaking of Jesus Christ, to those he has given the privilege to be called children of God to those who believe in his name. For those of us who are in Christ, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. Challenge yourself to go through as you're reading through the Bible on your own in that quiet time that you've already made a commitment to start to do and to spend more time alone with God, to write down or circle the, the phrase as you see it often written throughout the Word of God, the positional uh, statement of being in Christ. What a wonderful comfort that is to recognize and understand that those of us who are in Christ are found positionally to be in Him and to be innocent before God. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. It's a wonderful statement and promise of God that if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you will never have to worry about being judged for your sin as opposed to being judged for your works, which is something different. We'll talk about that also in this particular series. As we look at this... Titus chapter 3, look at verses 3 through 7. Titus 3 in the New Testament, after the Gospels and some of the letters, we read Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. It says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, how did it appear? The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of truth and full of grace, speaking of the appearance of the manifestation of Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, presenting the love of God to mankind. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, listen, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, Jesus said that is what happens when a person is born again, whom He poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord, that being justified by His grace, not by our works, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we may, might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Bible clearly says that it is by God's mercy and His grace 
and his mercy and his grace alone and not by works that we're made right with God and we're found in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive that are also in Christ will be caught up together with them and we will appear with him and we will remain with him forever. The Bible says that Jesus will come when church age believers are resurrected. We know that this will happen before the tribulation. For those of you who don't know what the tribulation is, then you have to come because we're going to talk specifically in one session, what is the tribulation? For those who think that the church will go through the tribulation, then you need to come to another session because we're going to address the question, will the church go through the tribulation? And we're going to take a good in-depth study and diligent look at what God's word has to say so that we are not ignorant of these events which will take place in the future. The third thing that we're going to look at and as it, as it uh, relates to the return of Jesus Christ, and that's this. The Bible says that Jesus will come when religious apostasy multiplies and deceives the world. Religious apostasy will multiply and deceive the world. The Bible very clearly teaches that. In fact, it warns so much of this particular truth that we will deal in great detail with this next week. So that will be a session in and of itself. And you don't want to miss this because it's an important sign that helps us know when the Lord's return is near. And it is fascinating as we look at the events around the world and the apostasy that has taken place specifically, which refers to the falling away of the faith by those who profess to, to know Christ and the Word of God. We're going to look in great detail as that being a foreshadow that God tells us of future events and what to expect, that when that takes place, the return of Jesus Christ is very close. So we're going to look at that. For our purposes today, look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. We read this. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, now speaking specifically of the rapture, uh, which is what we just talked about, gathering in the air, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. It says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Notice what he's saying. There were some reports that were going around, and the church of Thessalonica was getting all shook up, and they were getting rattled, because some people were coming saying, hey, we are in the day of the Lord. Now, we need to recognize what that term means in the day of the Lord. It refers to the great tribulation. It refers to the 70th week of Daniel, which we learned from the book of Daniel. We're going to come and we're going to talk about that in, in a future session. But the bottom line is this. There were people that came to them and said, hey, we must be living in the day of tribulation, the day of Jacob's woes, because of all the persecution that we're going through here at this local church. And so Paul came with the authority of the word of God and said, hey, don't let people deceive you into believing that the day of the Lord is upon you because the word of God will clearly give you the truth and the truth will set you free from what? The anxiety that you're experiencing that we are not living in the day of the Lord. And he goes on to say, here, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. What basically is saying is this, hey, calm down and chill out. That is great godly counsel for anybody who's running around all shook up about future events. My counsel to them is this. Calm down and spend time in the Word of God. Because it's the Word of God that will remove that anxious uh, thought from your heart. 
It's the Word of God that will take the fear out of your heart as to what the future holds. It's the Word of God that will give you clarity as to what God's plans are for the future. All speculation, all human opinion, all the stuff that's going on, we're going to talk about Y2K and all the stuff that's happening and all the speculation and all that. Oh, man, you know, it's got, it's got people running around and they're fearful. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Our God has a future in His hands. He's in total control. And we need to turn to the Word of God so that we can have a sense of peace and joy and calm and contentment, knowing that, you know what? We have put our hands in a God who will not ever leave us nor forsake us nor ever let us down nor ever disappoint us. We know this, that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything that we can ever ask or think. That we've trusted Him with our very soul. We've trusted Him with our very eternity. And you know what? And we're in great hands. We need to recognize that. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. What day is that? The day that God warns about in Daniel chapter 12 that we talked about in Daniel chapter 9, and that is the day or the day of tribulation, the time of God's wrath when the lawless one will be revealed and we'll get in all that when we look at the, uh, uh, what is the tribulation. 1 Timothy 4.1 says the same thing. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught even by the demons. And as we look at all this, uh, I encourage you to come back next week because it is a foreshadow of what God says will take place before Jesus returns. Now one of the most wonderful promises that we have about when Jesus will come is simply this. Jesus will come when all come to repentance. Jesus will come now, this refers to not only his, his coming in the air, but also His coming to the earth. We need to recognize and understand that Jesus will come when all come to repentance. Now, the question is, to whom does all refer? By the end of the tribulation, all those whom God has predestined will come to repentance. The Bible teaches in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will even say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Notice those who are skeptical say this to us, who say one day that Jesus will return. They say, yeah, and when's this going to happen? He promised he's coming back. Well, it's been, what, 2,000 years almost? He's not back yet. Uh, yeah, when's this going to happen? And they will basically insinuate that we are foolish in believing what God has to say about the future return of Jesus Christ. And to them, I say the same thing. The Word of God is reliable, it's accurate, it's trustworthy. Everything that God has said about the past that was, that was at a future date when He said it in the past took place exactly as He said. I have no reason to doubt if Jesus said He will return that He will return exactly as He says. I have no reason to doubt where if the Bible teaches that Jesus will return in the air and gather us up who are alive and those who are dead in Christ will be raised first that it will take place exactly as He says. And the problem with that is for an unbelieving mind they look at you and say, you know, you're a looney tune said, but you don't understand, because the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. What's so hard to understand? In this passage in, 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 uh, in Peter, what we recognize is this, that God's word is true. And when God says it, it'll take place exactly as he says. And we can rely upon it. And that's the point that's being made here. Hey, you know what? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on. And as since the beginning of creation, that continues to go on and say, that, you know what? And God created the world with just his word. 
And in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. I don't have a problem believing the Word of God or the power of the Word of God because it was the Word of God that spoke creation into existence. And the world continues to go on as God created it. So if God's Word says, hey, Jesus is returning in the air for His people and He will gather us to Himself, I don't think it's going to be hard for Him to do that. How about you? But we look and we go, oh man, if we start saying this, they think we're part of the Looney Tunes that are waiting for the mothership to come floating by. You know what I'm saying? I mean, have you ever caught yourself sharing with somebody what God's plans are for the future and you go, wow, if I didn't know God, this is sure sound pretty stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, we've all been there. But the, but the point is this, that it's the Word of God that's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's God's people who are lights and darkness that are diligent in their study of the Word of God that know what they believe and why we believe it and are ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that is within us. We have an audience that we will be able to reach. Will everybody listen to us? Absolutely not. You know that, I know that. You've got family members, you've got friends, you've got business associates who think you're nuts. But that's okay. Let them think you're nuts because you are living a life that's pleasing to God and you know what you believe and why you believe it as opposed to making stupid quotations that Jesus is coming back this year because you just have a feeling that that's going to happen. Hey, you need to know the Word of God and if you know the Word of God, you won't hesitate to share with people around you and God will use that because He promises this. When His Word goes out, it never comes back empty. Let's stop sharing our opinions and start sharing the truth of the Word of God. Jesus will come when all come to repentance. The question is, who is all? But do not forget this. Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is not slow as you define slowness, but He's patient. He's waiting for you. He's begging you. He's encouraging you. He's, he's, he's hitting you hard right now with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is convicting you of truth. It's convicting you of sin. Convicting you of righteousness. Convicting you of God's judgment. The Spirit of God, when He goes out, He loves people and He gets them right where they live. And God is not slow as we define slowness, but He's patient and He's loving. And there are some of you that have been here over and over and over and over again, and only you know and God knows that you are not in Christ. That you are in church. And that is as close as you will ever get to the kingdom of God. In order to be caught up alive, or to be raised in Christ, we need to give our hearts and our lives to Jesus Christ. This isn't about going to church and it's not about doing stuff. This is about surrendering your soul and your will to Jesus Christ and asking Him to forgive you for your sin. But I know the heart of man says, but I'd rather do it another way. And God says, I don't care. This is the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, my Son. You see, man would rather find another way to go than humble himself before God and say, Lord, I cannot do this myself. I need you. A broken heart, a contrite heart, oh God, you will never, ever despise. Some of you are sitting here thinking, you know what? I'll get there some other way. And God says, no, you won't. You have to surrender your heart. You have to trust in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says to those who believe in Him, the moment you do that, 
you'll be called a child of God to those who believe in his name because it's according to his great mercy and according to his righteousness that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And finally, we realize that Jesus will come. In this particular case, we're talking about Jesus will come when the tribulation period is over and Jesus will come to the earth and he will take his stand on the earth. The prophet Zechariah says this in 14.4 of the book of Zechariah, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. I mentioned Acts 1.11 where it says, And this same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven shall come so in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven, and he was raised from the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ will return one day, and he will take his stand upon this earth. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, immediately after the stress of those days, which days, Matthew 24, specifically the day of tribulation, that seven-year period of time that we're going to look at and see that. And uh, as we, we get into that, you'll recognize that immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with a power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And there will be a day where you will not miss the return of Jesus Christ to the earth for the whole world will see him. And as we look at that, we need to recognize and understand that in Daniel 9, 26 through 27, we're told that the tribulation period actually takes place when the coming world leader or the Antichrist makes a treaty with Israel to promise her safety and also to promise the return of the sacrificial system. That is the moment that the tribulation period or seven years begins, the seven years uh, that we found in the book of Daniel chapter 9. That is the moment the tribulation period starts. What's fascinating to me is this. There is nothing that I have been able to find in the Bible that would indicate that if Jesus came today and the rapture took place or being caught up with him in the clouds took place, he would return for those of us in Christ. There is nothing that I found in, this, in, in the Bible that indicates that that moment in time is what begins the tribulation. And in fact, if anything, the tribulation clearly is taught to us will begin the day that the Antichrist signs an agreement, a covenant with the nation of Israel to promise her safety and also the return of the sacrificial system. There may be a period of days, months, years, or many years that take place from the time that Jesus comes for his church and actually the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, so that we understand, at the end of that seven years, Jesus Christ will come and take his place here on the earth. And that's why we get so confused, because what happens is this. People today look for signs of his coming. We are not to look for signs of his coming because those signs will be taking place during the tribulation and those who have not believed and trusted in Christ who are still here during that great day of catastrophe on the earth, they can look for signs and there'll be clearly signs that they'll know the imminent return of Jesus Christ. But today, we are not to look for signs. We are, look for, look, we are to look for the Savior. There are no signs of his coming. He will return in the air and he can do it at any moment. And the Bible clearly teaches that Paul believed that it was imminent, that it could have returned at any moment in time. What we need to recognize and understand this. 
that Jesus Christ is coming for his people who have believed in Christ. He will come in the air and we who are alive will be caught up with those who are dead in Christ, will be raised before us and we will spend eternity with him. That is what we have to look forward to and that's what we should be looking forward to. Now as we look at all this, let's kind of wrap it all up. What have we learned from what we've just studied? Number one, that Jesus will come when we aren't expecting him. Therefore, we need to adopt an attitude of watchfulness and obedience. If you are doing what is wrong before God, I urge you, I beg you to confess and agree with God what you're doing is wrong. To confess is exactly what that means. And to repent, which means stop it, turn from it, and turn and walk towards God. And start living a life of obedience. Because you and I then will not have to worry about what we're doing if Jesus would return in the air today. The second thing is, he'll come when church-aged believers are resurrected. For those who are in Christ. So we are to look for the Savior and not for signs. Number three, he'll come when apostasy multiplies and deceives the world. And we'll look at that. We need to study the Word of God. We need to dig in. We need to hold tight. We need never to waver. And we'll talk more about that next week. Number four, he will come when all come to repentance. Ask yourself a very personal question. Are you a reason for his gracious delay? His desire is for you to depend upon him. He will come when all have come to repentance. Who is all? All is all who will come to repentance. John 3.16, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, an open invitation, whosoever would come to him, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're here playing church, or you're here playing God games, God knows your heart, and it's time you surrender and you give your life to Christ. It's time that you just say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I believe what you say, that Jesus Christ came to die in my place. I believe that he is who he claims to be because he rose from the dead, proving he has a power over sin and over death. And I believe what you say. And as best of my knowledge and in giving you my heart, I want to do that right now. I just surrender because I can't do this on my own. Because if you really stop and think about it, what good work could you do that would be greater than what God did in Christ on the cross? Give him all your money. He doesn't need your money. He already owns the whole universe. What can, he, what can you give him that he needs? See, the point is this. He doesn't need us, but we need him. And it's by his mercy that we're saved. It's by the washing and the regeneration of the Spirit of God that you're made a child of God. Not by works, but by grace through faith. And the fifth thing is this. He will come when the tribulation period is over. That we know definitively. At the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ will return and he will take his stand upon this earth. And he will usher in a kingdom that's called the great millennium of a thousand year reign of Christ with us reigning with him who have believed in him. We're going to study that too. What's in the, what, what do we have to look forward to during the millennium? And then he will usher in eternity. And we'll look at what is that all about? What's heaven all about? What does it mean to spend eternity with God? This is going to be a great series. And the reason it's a great series is because it's the word of God. Father, thank you for this time to be together again. And as the Apostle John writes, 
All we can say as we study your word, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.